Hello, and welcome back to the Knowledge Podcast. Today, I'm here with my co-hosts, Rudy and Riley. Hello. Yo. Okay, that was a strange introduction. But today, we're going to be talking to you about the structure of the big ball that we live on top of. The Earth. We're going to be talking about the layers, what they're made of, how they were found, discovered, our evidence for what we know, and also having a look at some of the history of the discoveries and theories of the Earth. You said a funny word a few minutes ago. What Earth? No, you said ball. Well, so how has everyone's week? My week's been alright. I've uh, just been doing some college work. That's pr- pretty much it. It's boring. Weren't yesterday, weren't you just sorting through your clothes for the entire day? Yes, having to get rid of some of the old stuff. That sounds boring. Wow. Yeah, that boring week. really is. Nice. At least you're starting college now, though. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Better Hopefully it's going to be better than school. It will be. 100%. Oh, it will be. Don't worry. It will be better than school. How yeah. about your weeks? It was good. I mean, I went to the Isle of Wight on Wednesday with my grandmother, which was nice. And other than that, I haven't really done masses. I've been doing getting ready for college again because, you know, it's the end of the summer. Holidays here. Uh, me and Riley are both going into our second year of college. Um... So we're one year superior to Rudy, obviously, with much better. I mean, I've just been getting ready for that, doing just little bits. Learned how to use like a video editor yesterday. How was your week, Ryan? My week was fine, thank you. It was a little bit boring around there, here and there, like with work and looking after my little brother, working out, just calming down. I also had my UFC debut with Jack Jenkinson, and it is happy. I'm happy to report that I won. He's way better. I mean, he's, I mean, he's got like 10 times more hours than me on the game. So I it's don't to be have expected. 10 times more hours than you. Okay, what level are you? It, it is miserable know. to I think I'm to. like 33. Yeah, I'm level 6, I think. Oh, well, that's good for you. <laughs> exactly. You are superior. Your wife is in me DMs. Oh, God. McGregor's off again. Okay. Throw some elbows in there. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so, is everyone ready to get started with the uh, educational bit of our podcast? We might as well, or else we're going to have more Conor McGregor references from Riley. Okay, so I believe that you have got the notes that we want to start us off with, Riley. Yes, I have. So, this world we live on, this big round blue ball, it, uh, it is made up of multiple layers. The Earth isn't round. It's pretty much round. No, it's an oval. It's true. The Earth is actually slightly wider around the equator, because where it spins on its axes, the centrifugal force carries the water outwards. So you kind of get like a slightly squashed sphere. So, this Earth, it is made out of multiple layers. We have the crust, the mantle, and the core. And the core is split into the inner and the outer core. You can probably guess what that means. So, the first layer, the crust, it is a small layer. It is very thin. And it is not thick at all. It is very, 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 very thin. Imagine like a bit of paper. It isn't as thin as a bit of paper, obviously. It's a bit thicker than a bit of paper, but it is super duper thin. Hold on, just quickly. The, uh, the th- way that I was taught by my geology teacher to look at the crust is as if it is the skin of an apple. So, like, relatively, it's as thin as the skin on an apple. It's to the centre of the apple. So it's, like, proper tiny. The skin of an apple, huh? One on orange. Is it too thick for an orange? Yes. No, because no one likes oranges. So, mantle. <laughs> the mantle. It's big. It's a thick boy. And guess how many C's thick it is, lads. I'm going to guess with like six. I'm going to guess five. Well, I had it down as five, but then I did more research and this thing is like 17 C's thick. Imagine like Anne Hegarty from The Chase. Imagine like 17 of her. And then we have the core. The inner and the outer core. The outer core is 2,200 kilometers. So it is still, it's pretty thick. 
Not as thick as the mantle or, you know, it's still pretty thick though. And the inner is only 1,200 kilometers. So it's about two seas thick. Rather than Did I just hear like a Scottish accent? Yeah, I think it just came out of me, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Scottish about just a random Scottish accent. <laughs> but yeah, so... How thick did you say the mantle was? The mantle, it is 2,900 kilometers. So that is a little bit about the layers themselves. Interesting fact about the mantle, though. Very interesting. It's really weird the way Jack described it to me, but he dumbed it down to basically it moves. It's a solid that moves like a liquid. So it's very plastic. The The word plastic means it like deforms without breaking. Definition Kim Kardashian. Well, close enough. So it's like it's rubbery. The technical word for it is reared. It's, it's a solid which is under a lot of pressures and a lot of heat and it moves like a liquid, kind of. A very slow, stuck-together liquid. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Like tar? No. No? Much thicker than tar. Well, I'd assume it was much thicker than tar. Precisely 2,900 kilometres thicker than tar. No, I mean, like, more viscous than tar, if you want me to use the proper scientific word. Okay. Okay, good. Move on, Ronnie. Move on to what? The next layer. I have. I've, I've, I've talked about all three of the layers. Were you talk, did you talk about the crust? <coughs> yes. Did you talk about the plates? Oh, no, no, yeah, I need to talk about the plates. Are they silver plates? <laughs> no, they're not silver plates. These are the tectonic plates, if I believe. The types of tectonic plates that we have here on the big ball. So, we have two types. We have continental plates and oceanic plates. Continental plates, they are thick. They're thick, boys. They have a large aluminium content and they also have large amounts of silica. It is, they are about 70 to 90 kilometers and they also weigh about 2.7 Gs. Gs? 2.7 grams per centimeter. That's a density. So... Continental plates, they're thick, large aluminium, large amounts of silica, and they're thick boys. The oceanic, they're the technically the opposite. They're thin, but they are dense. Large MD and FE content. MG, so magnesium and iron. And they are six to seven kilometers thick. So that's about one C thick. Actually, no, that's not even a C thick. Only six to seven kilometers, which is just disgusting. So, it's a little bit about the layers themselves. Okay, nice. In between each layers, there's obviously some kind of boundary, some point where it changes from one layer to the next. Perhaps the heat changes, the pressure changes, the state of the matter changes, so potentially from liquid to a solid. Right, so the inner core of our Earth is actually a solid because it's under so much pressure. Despite all the heat, it hasn't actually melted. Whereas the outer core is much more similar to the reared. It's a very thick liquid because it's not under quite as much pressure, but the heat is enough to melt it. So the different layers are in between these. And one of these layers is called the Mohorovicic discontinuity. You might have heard of the Moho. That's the simpler way of saying it. It's very important. And for some reason, nobody knows, but perhaps it's because nobody actually gives a shit, right? But M- Mohorovicic is the scientist who discovered it. And he his first name was Andri- Andrija? Andrija? I don't know. not really sure how to say that. He was Croatian and he was a geophysicist. So in 1909... He found that the velocity of the seismic waves go from 7 to 8 kilometers per second, meaning that the density of the rock suddenly changes. So this is the difference between going from the crust to the mantle. And he also found that an earthquake sent two sets of waves, except it wasn't actually two sets of waves. It was one set, but it had split into two and traveled two different paths. So they arrived at different times. So what must have happened is one must have passed through a boundary 
travel through the mantle and then come back up through the crust. So it looked like there were two sets of waves appearing. So he must have found out that there were two different layers, two different parts of the Earth, which were different densities or different rigidities, which would cause the wave to travel at different speeds. So the Mahodovicic, like I said, the discontinuity is between the crust and the mantle. Another example of a discontinuity that was found is the Le Mans discontinuity. This was discovered in 1936 by a female scientist. Her first name is Inge, Inge, Ange, I don't, not really sure how to say that. She discovered that the inner core was solid because it was very high pressure, which is what I mentioned a minute ago. And she found that there was a wide zone where there was a mix of liquid and solid, which was around the core. So this was due to the way that the the waves were behaving when they were traveling through it. She made these deductions. So the topic of waves lead me quite nicely onto a, like an evidence method of the earth. So one way we we know about it is because of the way that different waves behave to different earthquake waves. This is, there are two main types, well, three actually, P waves, S waves, and surface waves. The P waves are primary or push waves. They are compressive, meaning that instead of traveling in an up and down fashion, like the typical wave diagram, they compress and expand much like a slinky. So these ones arrive first because they travel the most direct path. The second type of wave to appear is the S wave, secondary or shear. So these won't go through liquid and they're a transverse wave, which means they're much like the typical wave diagram you see of like the up and down wavy pattern, what you think of when you hear the word wave. And they're actually 60% slower than P waves. And I believe Rudy has a bit more information on these. P waves is this. And S waves. P waves and S waves. Well, what I have on P waves is uh, that they uh, can go through uh, physical objects and uh, through liquids. That is how the P wave can travel through the um, core. It allows it to go through the mantle, through the core, and all the way out to the other side. But it doesn't go through like a like a dark. It almost almost like a buckshot if you think about it. It um spreads out. So when it goes through the planet, and this is uh, detected through seismometers. It doesn't sound right to me, but they use seismometers to be able to track these to see what's inside the Earth. Do you know what a seismometer is? I think. Okay, it's like a very um, fine contraption, which it basically is a bit of paper and a pen, which is very fine-tuned to the vibrations of the Earth. So as it vibrates, the pen actually draws on the paper and will draw the waves because it moves along as the pen draws. So it's like the thing you see in films when they talk when they have like lie detectors. No, it's nothing like a lie detector. No, but you know the stereotypical. You got um, it's a uh, pen on a bit of paper, and it's going up and down. And when they start to lie, it goes a lot faster because of the pressure. Yeah, like, we'll is, go it, with is that. it something like that? Not really, no. Basically, as the Earth does the cha cha cha, the pen will move. Yeah, exactly, and the paper moves along, so it literally draws the waves like you would expect to see on like a like a diagram of a wave. That's very scientific. Well, that's uh, that, that's interesting. I was always thinking of it like that, but as it goes th- through the planet, the P waves it it refracts off uh, all the material. That's why you get them. That's why it isn't just straight through. So that's as it travels between the different states of yeah. matter. As it hits between liquid to solid, layers. solid to liquid, it will refract in different directions. Yeah. So w- you'd have it almost like center around a certain point, but then it will just spread out across the other side of the Earth. Because as it hits each layer, it scatters off into different directions. Yeah. Well, S waves it can't go through um the they can't go through the liquid. Instead, what they do is uh, they go around almost around the crust. So there are two types of transverse waves, uh, which are emitted by an earthquake. 
there are S waves and the surface waves. And like I said, the surface waves are the one that travel along the crust. And the S waves are the ones that go into the interior of the Earth and they will travel through the mantle and they will travel through the inner core. But they can't actually get to the inner core because it's surrounded by liquid, so it can't actually get there. Whereas the P waves will go straight through the centre of the Earth, through the inner core, through the outer core. Yeah, what I actually had wrote down is how they know that the outer layer of the mantle is um, liquid. Because yeah. it doesn't come out like the P waves do. It actually comes out... I don't think it actually goes through, according to my notes. So the S waves don't actually go through the Earth? Uh, the S waves go through the mantle, but it, very slowly. They lose a lot yeah. of energy. Because where, where it is technically a solid, it will travel through it. Yeah, when you were describing it, it kind of confused me slightly, because how I researched it, I probably used uh, something that wasn't exactly the same source you did. But it's, it's talking about how the S waves don't make it all the way through the Earth? No, not all the way through. They don't go through the outer core because the outer core is a liquid. Okay, so there's the joint. Yes. So that is on the S waves and P waves for me. Okay. It's probably not as in detail as you've got. So I just have a little bit more on waves. So the reason I say they would lose a lot of energy as they hit the mantle is because wave speed is affected by both rigidity of a substance and the density. If something is very dense, it has to move a lot of matter, so it loses energy. And if something is not very rigid, nothing is connected as easily, so it can't use the energy as efficiently to travel. So where the mantle is not very rigid, that's why it loses a lot of energy as it travels through. So like Rudy was saying, waves are shot in all directions throughout the Earth, but as they're refracted, they don't actually travel in straight lines. They travel in slightly arced movements. And the asthenosphere is the upper surface of the mantle. It's just below the crust. It's what the tectonic plates effectively sit and move around on. And it's where waves will travel at an extremely low velocity. That is uh, interesting. Because when Riley was explaining it, I can, I can see how it... You can see that you've got the crust, you've got the mantle, you've got the outer and inner core. And I saw this a lot when I was researching um, the Earth. And it was that I, I typed up the layers of the earth and i got four the four layers of the earth the five layers of the earth the six seven eight nine layers of the earth and it was just the more precise uh, was the more precise cuts if you would like to refer to it almost like a meat well yeah technically mantle is split into two outer and inner but that's quite a lot of detail to go into for just like a basic podcast if you we were running like a geology podcast that's the kind of stuff we'd go into but it's a case of trying to make it so that anybody can understand our podcast it's a case that it's uh, going into too far not too far too much detail yeah, too that much. you would lose people we don't want to yeah. bore you basically like I, I'm, I'm nearly lost and because well i didn't look into that bit so there's another discontinuity or boundary that's actually within the mantle which separates the two layers but we're not we're not going to go into detail about it i think this is, might be a good time to go into our segment Yes, the segment. We have a brand new segment type. Okay, we, we, we racked our little brains and we came up with some ideas. And this is going to be a travel guide slash tourist guide. Or, as I call it, country review. Country review, anything like that. So, what we're going to do in this segment is we're going to pick a country. We're going to talk about some of the tourist attractions there to go to as, as a tourist. And we're going to talk a little bit about the place itself. So maybe where it is, what countries border it, the size of it, and possibly even some of like the topography of the land. So topography just means how hilly and mountainous it is. And we're also going to have a little look at some properties. So not properties to buy, but properties to rent out as like a holiday home. So like, you know, your typical Airbnbs or whatever. So I would like to kick us off with a little bit of information about the country that we're doing. 
We are doing Taiwan. Okay. So Taiwan is officially called the Republic of China. It is located in East Asia and it neighbours both Japan and the Philippines. So it's a 35,000 kilometres squared island or 13,800 miles squared. It has a population of 23.5 million people, which means it's one of the most populous countries. It's got the mo- one of the most dense populations of any place in the whole world. And that is because most of the population is actually concentrated into certain parts of the island because of how mountainous some of the regions are. And the capital of this place is called Taipei. So I actually looked at three properties within Taipei of varying price ranges. So property one is, like I said, in the capital, they all are. It is a newly designed and built two-room apartment. So there are two bedrooms, one living room, one bathroom, one good kitchen, as it described it. And there were pictures, it looked like quite a big, well-equipped kitchen. It's a 70 meter squared property, so basically half of Taiwan. There is free Wi-Fi and free TV. Ooh. Oh my, we can be lazy. Say also, free Wi-Fi. I, mean, I like free Wi-Fi. You guys are going to want to pay attention to this bit. You're going to get good at this as time goes on. Housekeeping is included in the price, okay? The reviews, there were three of them, and they were all five stars. So these reviews were all very good. So like I said, there were three of them, they were all five stars. These people were saying that it was in a quiet and clean residential area, so it was nice to go out at night and safe, more to the point, because these Countries quite often are unsafe. These, I don't. Third world isn't the right word, but these poorer countries. Uh, the subway is very close by, so underground travel trains, very good. They can get around the whole city easily from there. And the host was really friendly and really kind and really personable and helpful. So for cleanliness, communication, accuracy, location, and value, it was rated five stars. So for everything, it was maxed out basically. Sounds like some good service. So this is where the fun bit of this comes in. How much do you think this was? Per night and for a total week. Off season, so it's not in the summer holidays for us or anything. Okay, so per night. Yes. Uh, 500 quid. Really? See, I'm going to say the way you've made it sound so good, where it's all five stars, it should be hella expensive. But I think you're putting a little bit of a wall over our eyes here, mister. What do you mean he th- he's saying it's three stars and it's got terrible reviews then? No, I'm saying for what it is, I don't feel like it's going to be that expensive. Go on. So I'm going to say around 100 quid. Okay, so really overestimated and you underestimated. What, per 300 night, quid? Per night, it is £406. I was, I was close. But if you book a whole week, you get a £300 discount. So that means for a week's stay there, you get... You have to spend three thousand four hundred and seventy-seven Great British pounds. Oh lordy! So that includes like all your services, all of your you know housekeeping, blah blah blah. So it's actually quite good. Property number two. This is a six-guest, three-bedroom apartment. It has four beds and two bathrooms. It was described as having a plentiful kitchen, and it is the sixth out of a fourteen-floor apartment. They provide towels, shower gel, laundry, detergent, etc. All of the necessities. The reviews were pretty good. They were average out at about 4.6 stars. So, and there were a lot of reviews on this one as well. So what do you guys think th- this one's going to be? If it's anything like the other one, I'm going to say 380. Per night? Yes, per night, of course. Okay, Ronnie? Um, 400. Okay, you're both just so far off again. 
So this one is lower quality than the last one, although it is reviewed very nicely. So it is a £220 per night. There's a £108 week discount, so that means that it comes out at £1,844 for a whole week's stay. Which, you know, that's pretty solid if you're sleeping six guests. So property three is a four-guest, one-bedroom, two-bed, one-bathroom apartment. It has an induction cooker and crockery, and it's next to the subway. However, it was described as being in a bit of a rowdy area, so it's not so good to go out at night. One of the reviews said that the place is a health hazard. There's hair in the fridge and in the shower. There's dead bugs under the curtains. However, there was only one review out of thousands. Most liked it, and it actually averaged out at 4.8 stars. How much do you think this one is? 350. 180. Okay, this one is absurdly cheap. I like I've never even seen a property charging this little. Twenty-six pounds a night. So if you're staying a whole week, it's only gonna cost you two hundred and forty-four quid. So you can kind of expect it to be a bit of a health hazard, to be honest. Oh god. There is no weekly discount because it's so damn cheap. How much of a health hazard is this place? Are like dead bodies on a rug or something? Well, I mean to be fair, most most places liked it. Most people liked it. If you include bugs as dead bodies, then yes. So I mean it's kind of weird though when you think about it. One guy had a terrible experience and everyone else was like, "Yeah, it's amazing." So either everyone has really low standards or the other guy just had a crappy experience. I can imagine it's just some bold fat 50-year-old Craig who just went on there to complain anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Riley, what tourist attractions can we expect to find in Taiwan? Well, some tourist attractions with my very in-depth research. There are a lot of tourist attractions. I'm on a good website here where there's loads this highlights the main 20 of them so i'm gonna run through a few as there's quite a lot on here so i'll run through the main few and we'll discuss them so the first one it's a building it's a it's an interesting building called the the, the taipei 101 T-A-I-P-E-I. I don't know how you pronounce Taipei. that. Taipei. That's, that, that's Taipei. the name Taipei. of the capital. Yeah. So it's obviously yeah, yeah. So, important So Taipei capital. 101, the building. So this is actually the one-time tallest building in the world. It, it's no longer the record holder, but it's still one of its most impressive buildings. 728-ton mass damper that allows the building to survive the island's many earthquakes. It's an amazing piece of engineering and can be seen from various points within the building. Cool. So, the next place, National Palace Museum, Museum Park. Very interesting. Home to one of the largest collections of Chinese imperial artifacts, the National Palace Museum offers a look into imperial China's past. The many thousands of items on display were rescued by... Oh, oh no. Chiang Kai-shek's government as they Whoa. fled mainland China during the Cultural Revolution. Well, that's a name to spit out. Honestly, the last part looks like Shrek. So can, can you say it again? I, I want to hear it again. Oh, God, okay, right. Chiang Kai-shek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That is his name, look. Go on, Jack, give us a pronunciation. I'm, I'm going to say it's Chiang Kai-shek. So yeah. Chiang yeah. Kai-shek. So, yeah. Basically, it's Chinese Shrek. So... Taroko Gorge Park, a, a shrine. A couple of hours train ride from TB lies Tarkro National Park, home to one of the most visited natural wonders in Taiwan. Take the trail to the Eternal Spring Shrine, which features a stunning waterfall. Private Tarko Gorge National Park Day Tour from $164. Just to walk around a park. For a day? For a day, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's For a bit a much, isn't it? A bit of a waste. 
Yushan National Park. Another of the most beautiful national parks in Taiwan, Yushan National Park is the setting for the country's tallest mountain, along with several other picturesque peaks such as... Oh, not again. <laughs> oh, not again. <laughs> I think we should give these ones to Rudy. Shanking Sean. Shanking Sean. Shanking Sean. Have a look at that. I kid you not. What did you shank Sean? What does Sean do? Shanking Sean. Shanking Sean. San, San King Sean? Shanking Sean. King Sean. Shanking Sean. Okay. Yeah, that'll do. Okay, so. Park peaks such as Shanking Sean. Oh, f- not another one. Ali Shan Sienk. Alishan Sheink Mounting Area. Okay, give, give it to Rudy. See what right, let's see if I can pronounce this. Alishan Alishan Senek Mountain Area. Okay, you made, you made a pretty good job of that. Alishan's Mountain Railway is an ever popular tourist destination with both local and foreign tourists. The train winds its way to the top of the mountain where there are plenty of easy hiking trails that are that offer fantastic photo opportunities. So if you want good photos for the gram, go Taiwan. Go up mountain. Sun Moon Lake. Sun Moon Lake is the largest body of water in Taiwan and a great destination for a short trip. There are scores of hotels located around the lake, which is busy with yachts taking tourists from one side to the other. There's also a cable car here that takes you to the... Oh, not again. Formosa <laughs> Aboriginal Culture Village. I got it, I got it, I got it. I got okay, it. so you get to look at a bit of the traditional people of Taiwan's kind of living conditions. So the next one, it's a zoo, and it's called Mao Kong. The Mao Kong Zoo. Okay. This well-known spot is one of the best places in uh, Taipei to enjoy Taipei. Taipei to enjoy a cup of tea. The incredible scenery is worth the trip alone, but it is perhaps the gondola ride from the zoo to Mao Kong which has made it one of the most popular day trips to make during a stay in Taipei. Count me in to go to Taipei then. I heard tea. Dragon and Tiger Pagodas. Dragon Tiger Pagodas. Located on the edge of Lotus Lake, a scenic area in the heart of Cow, oh, not again. Cow <laughs> Shuang. These two pagodas are possibly the most popular attractions in the port city. Visitors enter the temple through the dragon's and tiger's mouths and can enjoy a view of the lake from the top of each tower. $492 for yeah, that. Is, is that Taiwan dollars though? I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm sure it is. It'll be the local currency. I think that the Taiwan dollars are quite inflated, so it's probably not that much. Maolin National Scenic Area. South of Kaohsiung lies the region known as Maolin National Scenic Area. This is where you'll find the Purple Butterfly Valley, the wintering home for a million oh, epuloni butterflies. An incredible sight to behold if you're lucky enough to arrive at the right time of year. A million butterflies? Yeah, a million butterflies if you arrive at I, the right time. I barely time. see one in my garden. Yeah, I barely, yeah, that is true. I barely see butterflies flying around. Okay. I was doing I was doing some research, guys. Four hundred and ninety Taiwan dollars is twelve pounds. Oh, so it's not that much then. No. <laughs> so it's twelve pounds, Riley. That better? <laughs> yeah. Oh, next thing. Rainbow Village. Very colourful. This colourful neighbourhood was the brainchild of local man. Oh Haiyuang Yung Fu. Do you want me to pronounce it? <laughs> no, I can I, I can do this. I can do this. Haiyuang Yung Fu. He decided that the ex-military village he lived in was too drab and so took a few paintbrushes to the walls. He hasn't yet stopped. So he he got bored of his city being boring as shit, basically, and just made it better. Do you reckon his nickname is Big Hoang? I reckon it's 
I reckon it's Huang the Paint Boy. No, I think Huang is better. Huang. Huang. Huang the Capra. Huang Yang Fu. No, not the Capra. Huang da Vinci. Huang da Vinci. Wait, did you say DiCaprio? Shut up. <laughs> He's an actor. Shut up. He's not a painter. Shut up. You idiot. Miramar Ferris Wheel. Located in the Miramar Entertainment Park, the Miramar Ferris Wheel dominates the local skyline, and with very few tall buildings to obstruct the scenery, visitors can enjoy panoramic views of the city. So, Riley, are you done with your tourist attractions? Yeah, there were some of the tourist attractions of names I couldn't pronounce. Okay, <laughs> it was quite entertaining listening to the names, to be honest. It's probably the best bit of it. Big Huang was my favourite one. So, was there something you picked up about the Taiwan wildlife, Rudy? Yeah, so it's a very short bit, but did you know that Taiwan, also known as the Kingdom of Bats? No. They have, if I believe I read it correctly, that it, they had uh, 1,200 species of bats. That's a lot. And da, 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 da. It's only a small place as well. Yeah. They 1,200 species of bats. The one that got me mainly is only because I saw something when I was researching. Does Dracula live there then? Um, um, well, they haven't found his castle yet. It's going to be a fucking vampire somewhere, isn't it? 1,200 species of bats in a place like Taiwan. Yeah, so that's a lot of species. No, no, no. That is the home place of Dracula. It's got to be. I'm sorry, but there's a cave in there with Dracula just sat in there, like, slurping some blood <laughs> out of, like, a metal chalice. Potentially. But the thing that actually got me onto the bat subject was something called the... Um, oh, I'm not sure if I can pronounce it again. No, you can. I can pronounce it. No, I have to go back. Mm. Formosa Flying Fox. Oh, yeah. Flying Fox is just another way of saying big bat, basically. Yeah, it's, it's a giant bat, basically. I saw that, and I was... Uh, Wondering, I've never heard of a flying fox. Yeah, a flying fox. No, thank you. So I was here uh, when I saw it. I was thinking of something like from myth, a fox of wings. I didn't expect it to be a giant bat. So that's just a little thing about Taiwan. That's cool. One thousand two hundred species. Of bat. That is mad. Just bat. And didn't you say about there being one million butterflies? Yeah, if you arrive at some place in the right time of year, there's like a million butterflies there. So it seems like Taiwan's a good place to go for your biodiversity. Yeah. So um, if you like animals and bats, go. Yeah, the go bats uh, usually come out of hibernation around the beginning of summer. I read. So mm. if you want to go there, see bats, be terrified by bats. Maybe see Count Dracula there slurping a little bit of a blood treat. Then go visit him. Just don't go into any ominous caves, or else you will get no. consumed. No, no, do do not go into any caves, especially if an old man with a black cape tells you to go in there. Bad things will happen to and you. Pale complexion. Trust me. I know from experience. Unless you bring garlic and a wooden steak, then you'll be fine. But, you know. Yeah. Well, you never know, actually. Could be Batman in there. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> Just Bruce Wayne. Just his secret. All right, right that, moving on. I must say, that went really dark really quick. Shall we move back onto the um, Earth? Yes, I think we should. Riley, I believe you have some more information for us. Yes, I do. I have, from the research we did last night... I have a few more things to cover. I have some evidence methods and a little bit about volcanoes. So what would you boys like to hear first? Whatever you want to say first. Okay, I'll talk about the evidence methods first as there's the littlest amount on that. So the evidence method I am covering are meteorites. We all know what meteorites are. They're big rocks that fall from the sky. So there's two types of meteorites, metallic and stony. Metallic. Can I take a guess that one of them's made of metal and the other one's made of stone? Metallic <laughs> meteorites. 
they have large iron and nickel. They they have large amounts of iron and nickel in them, and they are dense. And also, from these metallic meteorites, we can also see what the cores of other planets and stars would look like. So that's pretty interesting. Next are the stony meteorites. They have a lot of aluminium and silica. This is also like the mantle of the Earth itself, of the big ball we live on. So they're the two types of meteorites. So stony is more for the actual mantle of the Earth itself. And metallic gives us a look at the cores of other planets and stars. Which is interesting. Yeah, I would just like to pay note quickly as well to has like the density of our planet. At the core, it's much denser because it contains iron and nickel primarily. Uh, so I believe it gives it a density of around 12 grams per centimeter cubed, whereas on the surface, it's more like 2-3 grams per centimeter cubed. So it, there's a massive increase in density as we increase depth. Well, of course it will, and because of uh, the how strong gravity will be close to the center. It's not got to do with gravity. It's literally to do with what it's made out of. Really? Yeah. I would have thought it had been because of gravity. Nope compacting it that's pressure pressure and density are different things ah well i have some more evidence if you'd like to hear it yes so this is what i call the light evidence going back to the layers of the earth again it's like an onion there are many layers to the earth that we've already talked about like an ogre like an ogre yes so there's the core the mantle and the crust the core it has large amounts of iron in it which is why we got the ma- magnetic field, which is what you were telling me, Jack, last night, wasn't it? Yes. So the magnetic field cast around our Earth is due to a solid iron slash nickel interior spinning in a liquid iron interior. So iron is one of the few magnetic elements we have often found in the form of the mineral hema- uh, not hematite, magnetite, sorry. And also hematite, actually. But yeah, there you go. Sorry. All right. And now we move on to the mantle. So the way Jack explained this to me, it's... The mantle is a bunch of interlocked crystals. Many crystals of all different types. Small crystals, big crystals. That That's not the mantle, sorry. That's, kyber crystals. That, that's not the mantle. That's, that's, um, that's igneous rocks. So igneous rock type. So igneous means born in fire. And it's a type of rock. Well, it's a rock type. So there's lots of different igneous rocks. And the bigger crystals form when the magma cools slowly. And the smaller crystals form when it cools quickly. So yeah, sorry, carry on. So yeah, I might have gotten that a bit wrong in the notes, so I do apologise for that. But yeah, basically, so the bulk of the rock is helped made by volcanoes, which is what you were telling me last night, Jack. And basically, the more time of cooling the volcano magma has, the larger the crystal is going to be. And larger crystals are called xenoliths. Uh, yeah, so the larger crystals aren't xenoliths specifically. If there's if there's a large crystal incorporated in a rock made of finer crystals, then it's called a xenolith. Mm, okay, yeah. And we can inspect these, can't we? Because isn't it, from what I remember, isn't it just a case of digging them out and we can get them? Or... Yeah, so what a xenolith is, is a xenolith is part of a magma chamber wall. So when magma is underground, underneath a volcano, it sits in a massive chamber. And because of its extremely high you know, pressure, heat it breaks off bits of the outer wall and the outer wall will be incorporated in the magma as it's uplifted to the surface. So these big crystals are literally parts of what's underneath us. Would I be correct in my assumption that this is like the thing in Australia, um, the massive crystal? No. No, no that, that's just a big mineral that's formed. Like ah. a big crystal of a mineral that's formed. It's different. Sorry for the botched explanation of that. That was more Jack's area of expertise than mine. But on the topic of volcanoes, 
I have some information about volcanoes if you boys are interested. Do they go boom? I'll, I'll read out what I've got. So, this, while me and Jack was helping me with the research, um, we mainly looked at how we also investigated the crust especially. So Jack told me to investigate the crust, it's a simple case of using mines, man go down hole mine made, and man look at crust with binocular. That's what you told me, Jack. Mainly microscope, not binocular, but yeah. But you get what I mean. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. So mine down, boom, boom, and we investigate hole. So yeah, it's literally as simple as deep mines and boreholes giving us an insight into the deeper parts of the crust. It's that simple. What, what would the temperature be down there then? Uh, pretty cold. Cold? Yeah. You're not water. far enough down to be hot yet. Ah. All right. So now onto the topic of volcanoes. So... A volcano. Think of a volcano like a penis. So in, a, in the science terms, magma builds up underneath the volcano. And the volcano is like a vent, like a weakness in, in the crust. And the magma builds up pressure and eventually it's expelled out of the top of the volcano. Okay, well they were the majority of my notes, as that's what me and Jack covered last night. Yeah, so the magma that comes out of the volcanoes is magma content from within our earth so obviously as we look at that we look at what's inside our earth the structure of the earth we have our big basically a sphere it's, it's slightly not a sphere but it's close enough oh, oval. you will give those flat earthers another thing it, that's it's just, technically not an oval but just say it's a circle and the flat earthers will not have to hate us a so, spherical shape then okay well moving on it's round so it's a big almost round it's a pineapple Onion with lots of layers. It's a pizza. We have the very thin crust. Wait, are you saying it's flat? Nah, I'm saying it's a flat round pizza. It's a pizza if a pizza was a ball and in 3D. Or are you saying that the pizza is flat with the crust? Because we, d- we described the flat earth theory as a pizza, didn't we? No, With the no. crust being the... I'm saying ice it's wall. a pizza ball. Okay, so the earth, we have a very thin crust, like the skin on an apple. It's not very dense, contains a lot of silica, magnesium. It's not thick. No, it's not thick. And it's made of two types of plates. We have the continental oceanic. As we move down into the mantle, things start to get a little bit... Things start to get chunky. They start to become thick. As Riley described it, about 17 seas or 17 anhegates. Yes. Uh, we're, we're looking at a very manipulative, manipulative, malleable substance. So malleable just means it can bend without breaking. And it has low rigidity. So that means that waves travel through it slowly. And then we have the outer core, which is like a thick liquid. And then we have the inner core, which is a solid. Does waves only travel through it slowly because uh, it's of the distance? Or is there any other reason? It's because it's not rigid. Low rigidity means that waves can't travel fast. I did cover that earlier. but I was asking if that was the only reason. That is the only reason, yeah. So... As we travel down, obviously the density increases because the center is made of iron and nickel, two very heavy elements. P and S waves are two of our method types of identifying the interior of our Earth. There are evidence methods and they travel through, they all travel through solid and only P waves will travel through liquid. And we get shadow zones between 103 and 143 degrees. What is a shadow zone? It's an area of the earth where we don't get p and s waves at the surface so if the earthquake occurs right in the center of the north pole right there will be earthquake waves felt between 0 and 103 degrees and earthquakes waves felt between 143 and 360 degrees 
180 degrees, sorry. So these are areas where you just will not get... Yeah. And that's be due to the way that they bounce and refract off the different layers. So we also looked at some of the scientists who told us about different discontinuities slash boundaries, such as Mohorovicic and Andrzej... No, not Andrzej. Liman. So they told us different layers have different constitutions, different states of matter because of the way that waves behave with them. And these were like very early, ahead of the time thinkers, being in 1909 and 1936. Uh, what else did we look at? We looked at... I looked at uh, two uh, in the 19... Not in 19. In the 16... Like 1700s. Sorry, get my dates confused. Um, two people's ideas on what the model of the Earth was. If you would like to have a little look at that. Why didn't you say it earlier? <laughs> Before I started rounding things up. Okay, go. Well, I wanted to see you ramble for a little bit. I was trying to, I was trying to carry because no one else had any ideas. Oh. No, okay, I well, that's the end of the Truly Knowledge podcast today, guys. Oh, no, I've, I've still got a page. Fuck. <laughs> All right, so during the 17th century, there was uh, two models that were created, well, or theorized. Descartes model. It is basically... The idea that uh, the continents were formed by breaks in the crust. So, exactly that. Break. They thought that the continents were formed by breaks in the crust, so where the oceans are on that. So they came up with the idea of uh, They came up with the idea of plates. Yeah, basically. But that the outer layer was completely independent from the inner layer. So it's, a- it's actually quite similar to what we have today about the layers. And they're independent from each other. So, although this was in the... 1665, around that time, 1665, 1664, it is still very close to what we have today, which I found quite interesting. But then we have the Kirchhez model. I can't, I can't pronounce this one properly, but it is the idea that there are canals and veins in the Earth, like volcanic veins, which uh, connect tons of magma chambers, which uh, therefore connect all the volcanoes around the planet, and that is uh, the other idea about the layers of the Earth. It's not exactly layers, it's more you've got this you've got this massive uh, globe full of magma. doesn't exactly have a mantle or an inner layer. But this was during the 17th century, so still more advanced for its time. Descartes' model is uh, almost scarily close. You, you, you were laughing? Why is it scary? Probably because there are spiders down there. It's uh, because it is so close to what we have nowadays, although it doesn't specify the mantle, the core, that stuff, but the crust is uh, independent. Okay, but why is it scary? Because this was the 17th century. What is scary about this? Everything in the 17th century is scary. Even the rocks? Yes, especially the rocks. Haven't you seen the 17th century horror movies? No. Yeah, because they didn't have film back then. Dwayne Johnson wasn't in films then. Good point. But most of these ideas uh, came off the idea of uh, sedimentary rock. This was rock that had uh, had magma. Sedimentary rocks don't involve magma at yes, all. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes. No, it doesn't. So it's not sedimentary rock. It's uh, Igneous as Jack's just beating me about because he's smart and I am not. But this is what gave people the idea of there being layers just because it is visually different rock is what I believe it is. Sedimentary rock has layers, yeah. Like an onion? Like an onion. Like an ogre? Like an ogre. Like a cake? No, not like cake. It's not sweet at all. It's good to eat, though. But that those are the um, things I've got on the two different models. Nice. 
yeah, mine, mine was mm. uh, was not much of a subject. It was just a statement about the there's about two different models. Okay, so are we good to wrap up here? I yeah, think so. Okay, so we'll do a quick overview. So we talked about the layers of the Earth, how density and state of matter changes. We talked about some methods of how we identify the interior of the Earth. We talked about xenoliths. About the two uh, models of the Earth. We talked about two models of the Earth. We talked and about meteors. We talked about PNS waves. More scientifically yeah. verified layers. We did indeed. So if everyone is happy to close it out there, shall we talk about what we're going to be covering next week? Yes, we should. We, we, we could talk about it, yeah. Well, it's a viewer-suggested episode. Our first one. Our first one. Thank you, viewer. So our viewer-suggested episode is going to be on... It's going to be on all thwing, thwings? Things. All thwings. All, all thwings. 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 I sound like... Do you know when you put like a ruler on the table, like, off the edge of the table, hold it and like flick it? Oh, God. Yeah, it sounded <laughs> like... It made that noise. Stop looking for a ruler. Okay. <laughs> so it's going to be on all thwings to do with... Black holes, wormholes, time travel, paradoxes and theories, the quantum idea physics. of time travel. All sorts of, yeah, weird, random theories, physics, could, paradoxes. You could think of it as almost like a sci-fi episode. Yes. And we might be moving on to doing an episode every other week because we're going back to college and we need to kind of see how our timetables and stuff are going to line up because we still don't have the bloody things yet. Yeah, and as well with the amount of work we'll have, we'll probably not have... Supporting the amount of time. Yeah, so we'll probably end up doing one every other week, to be totally honest. But we'll we'll update you on the next episode as to what the plans will be. Yeah, so just keep, like, just basically keep in mind that after this one, the episodes will have to slow down. Yeah, it won't be, like, once a month or something. It'll be more than that. We, we, we've mentioned the next episode, right? Yes. We just talked about it. Yeah, just, just double-checking. We just missed it last time. We did miss it last time. Because we're stupid. I also forgot to put it in the description. <laughs> you, know, you know, let's not think about that. That was all your fault, by the way. It was all my fault. But, you know, if everyone is good, I would like to say thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to us idiots once we, more. We hope you learned something. I don't. I hope you laughed. Or, or at least laughed at Riley's descriptions. Congratulations on your listening again, because you're brave. You put up with us. I think it's that time. It's that time. Yeah. Celebratory claps. Celebratory claps all round, folks. Okay. All done. There we go. All done. Thank you for listening to our podcast again. Now go do something productive. Thank you. Yeah, that told you. <laughs> <laughs>